0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community founder, Pastor John Ferguson, as we wrap up our series, Profiles in Courage. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. My name is John, it's great to be here this morning, excited about uh, what's in store here at the Box over the next month, month and a half, two months, and at our Aurora Campus as well, and all the good stuff that's happened with Community 412, I want to encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities, there's a table uh, in the welcome area after the service, and we'd love for you to get engaged and sign up to be a tutor, a mentor with Community 412. You know, uh, we love a good rags to riches story, don't we? How many of you like a good rag to rich, rags to riches store? I think most of us do. Sure. You know, like when someone goes from, you know, being just an average guy or girl to a life of fame and fortune. And I think that's why, you know, shows like American Idol and The Voice are so popular, you know, a person can go from, you know, regular, just kind of relative obscurity to, to like singing on stage at the Grammys. I mean, we love that, don't we? Uh, we admire business leaders who go from you know tinkering with an idea in their garage to becoming the CEO of one of the most incredible companies on the planet we become fans of the undersized athlete who defies the odds to become the league mvp we love those stories of the underdog kind of rising up to do great stuff do i need to mention the cubs this year thank you very much Thought I'd get it in early today But for all these reasons I love the story of a woman named Esther I love the story of a woman named Esther You know, Esther was a virtual unknown An orphan with no real status, no legal rights You know, she and her people, the Israelites Had been conquered by the Persian Empire And they were living in an exile in the capital of Persia And if there's one thing that the Persians were good at They were good at throwing a party And as the story of Esther begins, it starts with a Persian party. I mean, this is an all-out, full-blown Persian party because it was put on by the king of Persia himself, King Xerxes. And he put on a party that lasted for a full six months. Now, I think we'd all agree that's a pretty long party, isn't it? Can you imagine that invitation? Invitation to a party. Who is invited? You. Where is the party? At the palace. When is the party? From June through December. (laughs) That's a long part. It reminded me uh, a few years back, I was asked to officiate a destination wedding for some friends. You know, pastors, we hate it when people ask us to do destination weddings. I'm available for weddings like in Bermuda, Hawaii, those sort of places if you want to ask me to do that. But at this particular destination wedding, both fathers, the groom's father and the bride's father, they loved to throw a party. And it was almost like they were trying to outdo each other, except they really liked each other too. And this celebration, this party began on the Tuesday before the wedding, lasted all the way through until Saturday and then even the next day after the wedding. It was a six-day party. Now, that seems like a long time, doesn't it? We're talking about a Persian party that lasted six months. Now, at one point during this prolonged Persian party, King Xerxes takes all the guys over to one corner of the palace. And his queen, her name was Vashti, takes all the girls over to one corner of the palace as well. And Xerxes and the boys, well, they kind of get plastered. And my guess is that these guys, they started kind of bragging about their women like guys sometimes do, especially when they are under the influence. And one probably said, you know, my wife is absolutely gorgeous. And the other guy probably said, well, you know, you think your wife's gorgeous. You should see my wife. She's amazing. Well, King Xerxes, not to be outdone, he says, you know, I've got the prettiest woman in the whole Persian Empire, and I will prove it. And so he sends for Queen Vashti saying, "Uh, come here and display yourself. He wanted her to show off her beauty. And uh, display yourself was uh, code language for a dance that was no Persian polka, let me tell you. Vashti was beautiful, but she was also no doormat. And she said, no, not going to do it. And, And Xerxes is so enraged, so humiliated that he has her banished from the palace, takes away her crown permanently. Now, at this point, our story might seem more like something you'd see on daytime television, right? You know, today on Jerry Springer, my husband divorced me because I wouldn't flaunt my body in front of his friends. But that's what happened. But as time goes by, it's interesting because King Xerxes gets depressed and he's pouting around the palace. So what do you think his servants decide to do? Well, this time they didn't throw a party. This time they threw a pageant, a Persian pageant, the Miss Persia pageant. And their plan was to find a new queen for King Xerxes. I know lots of P's in this story, right? Prolonged Persian parties and pageants planned where people get plastered. <laughs> Try to say that three or four times. <laughs> now Esther, she's an orphan being raised by her much older cousin, a guy by the name of Mordecai. And, and cousin Mordecai just happens to be working in the palace. And when he finds out that they're gonna have a pageant, a Miss Persia pageant, he goes to, queen, or to Esther and says, Esther, you gotta sign up for this pageant, but whatever you do, don't tell him you're an Israelite. And you probably guessed it, and I just gave it away if you listen closely. The improbable happens, and what happens? Esther becomes, help me out. Yeah, she becomes queen. I mean, just allow that to sink in for a moment. Okay? I mean, here's this orphan girl, a refugee from a faraway land, who is now the queen of Persia. I mean, she's gotta be feeling like you know, Cinderella at the ball. But time out for just a minute, okay? Uh, have you ever felt that way? Maybe not like Cinderella at the ball, but have you ever felt that way? You know, you found yourself somewhere in a situation that you never thought you would be in. Maybe it was, you know, a really good and surprising situation, or maybe it was not so good. But either way, can you relate to maybe what she was feeling? How in the world did I get here? But this is just the beginning of Esther's story. You know, the story becomes even more interesting because not long after Esther becomes queen, the king appoints a guy by the name of Haman to be his second in command. Now, Haman is a horrible guy, heartless, hateful, always looking out for himself. And as second in command, Haman wants to make sure everybody knows just how much power and influence he has. And so every day he comes to work and people all over the palace, they bow down to him and say, Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Haman, my lord. Now, how would you like that if you showed up at work, wherever your workplace might be, and people greeted you that way? Good morning, sir. Good morning, my Lord. And I try to do that from time to time around here. If somebody's not having a good day in the office, maybe Ian, you know, the new guy on staff here, just walk up to his desk, say, good morning, Ian. Good morning, my Lord, Mr. Simpkins. It's not really true. I don't do that at all. But day in and day out, as Haman enters the palace, people bow down with the exception of one person. Any guesses who's not bowing down to Haman? Who do you think it is? Yeah, Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai. Every morning as all the people come in, they bow down and say, good morning, my Lord, good morning, Mr. Haman. Mordecai refuses, and Haman is hot over it. He is really upset about it. Haman is so put off by Mordecai's actions that he decides to get rid of him. Now, remember, Mordecai, like Esther, is an Israelite, and so Haman not only decides to get rid of Mordecai, he decides to get rid of the entire Israelite population. Yeah, Haman goes to the king, and he says, your majesty, we have these people among us, foreigners. They're trouble. They're different from us. They don't follow our laws. And if we don't do something about it, it's only going to get worse. I'm kind of surprised you didn't suggest the king build a wall and make him pay for it. <laughs> but Haman persuades the king to pick a day and decree on that day that anyone who lives near an Israelite can kill them and take all their property. And as the word gets out, a whole lot of people start to panic. As you can imagine, I mean, the city is in turmoil. How can this be happening? And what are Haman and the king doing while all this is going on? What do you think they're doing? They throw a party. Yeah, they throw a party to celebrate this decree. A Persian party, of course. The people of Israel, they're all out weeping and wailing in the streets outside the palace. And Mordecai is right there with them. But remember, there is an Israelite inside the palace. Do you remember that? The queen, Esther. Esther. The king doesn't know she's an Israelite. Haman doesn't know that she's an Israelite. That's a secret that she kept to herself. But Esther hears the weeping and wailing going on in the streets, and she wants to know what this ruckus is all about. And so she sends one of her servants out to find out why Mordecai and his friends are in such a bad place. And through a servant, Mordecai explains the situation to Esther, and he pleads with her, Please go talk to the king and speak on behalf of our people. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, she's the, the wife of the king. Why can't she just go in there and change his mind, talk to him, save the day? Well, things aren't quite that easy. See, in Persia, when a king made a decree, it was irrevocable. It was set in stone. It was not going to be turned over. Plus, if you approached the king uninvited, you could be put to death, even if you were his wife. And ladies, you think your husband's hard to talk to. <laughs> so Esther, I mean, she's in a horrible spot. She's in a terrible place. I mean, not only could no one do anything about the king's decree, she couldn't even approach her husband without risking her own life. And let's not forget, he'd just gotten rid of another queen for much less. And so Esther's response to this situation, it's not particularly heroic. She sends a a message to Mordecai and says, I can't approach the king unless he extends the golden scepter to me. And he isn't even welcome to be into his presence for the last 30 days, not one time. But Mordecai, he's not about to let her off. He sends back a message. And I think this message right here may be the centerpiece of this entire story. And here's what he says He says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family, they will perish. And then he says, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And you see, in this passionate plea, I mean, Mordecai is reminding Esther of some very, very important truths. You see, first, Mordecai reminds Esther, you are who you are for a purpose, Esther, You are who you are for a purpose. You know, Esther's clearly in a tough spot. And at first she just kind of chooses to blend in, doesn't she? You know, lay low, keep her head down. After all, no one knows she's an Israelite. But Mordecai pleads with her saying, do not think that because you're in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. Remember who you are, Esther. You're an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. You belong to him. I mean, on the outside, Esther had a lot going for her, right? I mean, she was the king's favorite. She was the queen. But I kind of wonder, maybe she'd gotten so caught up in her lavish surroundings that she was out of touch with her true identity. I mean, she wasn't even aware of what was happening to her people. Did you catch that? But Mordecai reminds her, hey, you're one of God's people. You're the child of God. Queen or not, that's who you are. So let me ask you something today. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I mean, when when you face a moment of decision, a crossroads, do you understand you are who you are for a purpose? See, being a Christ follower is not so much about, you know, following a certain set of rules. It's about knowing and living as a beloved child of God. I'm reading, I think, for the second time, maybe the third time, even a book titled Halftime written by a guy by the name of Bob Buford. And, and in this book, Buford, I mean, he, he writes it for people who are at, kind of at the midpoint of their life, you know, you know and, and they're sort of hitting the pause button to consider what they want to do with the rest of their life, the second half. And one of the things that Bob says in this book, he says, you got to decide who you are. You got to decide who you are. And, he says, and then he, he says, you know what you need to do? You need to draw a box that represents your life. And then you write down in that box what is at the center of your life. Because what's at the center of your life will define who you are. Now, how many of you remember the old uh, movie, *Aquila and the Bee? It came out about 10 years ago. Remember that, Akilah and the Bee? Bee, not as in like uh, Bumblebee, but spelling bee. Yeah, okay. Akilah's an 11-year-old girl growing up in Los Angeles, struggled in school. Her family life left a lot to be desired. And the whole world is telling Aquila, you, know, you, you don't come from the right family to the right school, the right neighborhood. You don't amount to anything, But then a teacher took note of Akilah and helped her see her true identity. And I think a quote from this movie sums up beautifully. What we as God's children need to remember when we're facing decisions that require courage. Look at this with me, okay? Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. We are all meant to shine. As children do, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And I love that. As a child of God, you are meant to shine. You are who you are for a purpose. My identity as a beloved child of God can give me the courage to do what God wants me to do. Every time I make a decision about a relationship, about my time, about my goals, about my entertainment, about my future, about my finances, about the second half of my life, I gotta make decisions that are based on who I am. Yeah, I have a daughter who's gonna be a senior in high school, a son who's gonna be a sophomore in college. I've had this conversation with him over and over again because I tell him, you know, you're gonna be in situations all the time where people are gonna want you to be who they want you to be. They're gonna want you to do or say or be someone that you are not. And in those moments, you gotta know who you are. I started when they were really little. Maybe for me to tell you this before, but when my son was two and a half years old, we talk about what Ferguson men do. And one day, he was literally two years old, had him on the changing table and I was changing his diaper and he was whining and I said, you know, Graham, Ferguson men don't whine. And he looked back up at me in all his glory and said, Yeah, Dad, but Ferguson boys do. <laughs> but see, I gotta keep asking over and over again, you know, what would a follower of Jesus decide in this moment? You know, how how would a beloved child of God respond? You are who you are for a purpose. And, you know, Mordecai wants Esther to remember something else. He wants her to remember you are where you are for a purpose. Yeah, you are where you are for a purpose. At this critical time in history, Esther finds herself in the king's palace. Again, her head had to be spinning. I mean, just imagine she's the queen. She's in a unique position. She has an incredible opportunity. The question is, will she let God use her where he has placed her? I mean, God was at work in Esther's life, giving her the opportunity to have influence, I mean, beyond her wildest dreams. And I believe that God has been at work in our lives too, arranging circumstances so that we too can have impact and influence for him where we are. And I don't know where you you are right now, and you may not be in what is perceived to be a position of power. Maybe you feel like you're, in a position that's the opposite of that but never underestimate what God can do through you wherever you are. God placed Jesus in a manger. So where has God placed you? I mean, how has God uniquely positioned you for influence? Because you may be the only Christ follower some people will ever know. I don't know, you might even be thinking, you know, John, well, where my life is right now is not good. You know, my life is full of all sorts of horrible stuff. Are you saying that God arranged that? No, I'm not saying that. But what I can tell you is this. God does not cause evil stuff to happen, but he is so faithful and so set on his purposes that he can take our circumstances, good or bad, and work them for all sorts of good. So where are you right now? See, God has a plan and a purpose for you right there. And that where, I don't know, it might be your job. It might be your neighborhood, your marriage, your school. It might be the opportunity that you have to raise your children and invest in the lives of the people that are around you. Maybe some close friends. But where you are right now is where you are for a purpose. And then there's still something more, you know. You are when you are for a purpose. Yeah, you are when you are for a purpose. That might sound like a funny way of saying it. And here's how Mordecai said it to Esther. He said, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Now is your time, Esther. Yeah, I mean, do you realize right now, today, every day, you are who you are and when you are for a purpose? And see, this is where it gets kind of urgent because I think it's so easy for us so often to instead of thinking now, we kind of get stuck on someday, don't we? Yeah, we, we do. I mean, you know, some, yeah, someday I'll, I'll have that conversation. You know, someday I'll go to work on my marriage. Someday I'll chase my dreams. Someday I'll invite my neighbors or, or friends to, to small group or to a celebration service here at the box. Someday I'll use my gifts and talents to, to contribute. Or how about this one? So, so, someday I'll, I'll, I'll choose to follow Christ. Someday I'll go public and get baptized. Not today, but Someday. Let me just ask you, why not today? I mean, really, why not today? Because you are who you are, where you are, when you are, (laughs) for a purpose. And that's what Mordecai told Esther. And as she considers the decision before her, Esther gathers her courage, and then she sends this reply, and here's what she says. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me, Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And then look at that last line. And if I perish, I perish. And I love this. I mean, Esther is is in the moment of decision. She's perfectly positioned for impact. And what does she do? She says, yep, it's me, it's here, and it's now. And if I die, I die. Wow, wow. But notice also she doesn't go it alone. Did you catch that? No, she doesn't go it alone. She says, you know, pray for me, fast for me. Have she had other people pray and fast while she's praying and fasting. She was doing that in community. What happens? Well the king extends the golden scepter to her He hears her out And when he realizes how Haman had manipulated him He has Haman executed What's more he issues a second edict Giving the Israelites the right to defend themselves If someone tries to murder them Or take their property away And an entire nation An entire nation of people Are freed because Esther believed I am who I am Where I am When I am For a purpose How about you? You know, when you came in today, hopefully you received a card that looks like this. Go ahead and pull that out right now, okay? Hopefully that was given to you when you walked in, and I hope you have a pen nearby too. And this is not an invitation to a Persian party, okay? You're probably not thinking you have six months to spare about now, but if somebody wants to throw a party, I'm sure some of us would come. Actually, there is a party after the service. Patrick mentioned that earlier. But this is an invitation to a purpose, And so what I want you to do with your pen and hand, it says there, you're invited to a, and write the word purpose, okay? Go ahead, just write the word purpose in that blank. You are invited to a purpose. And then there's the who line. Who is this invitation for? Well, it's for you because you are who you are for a purpose. And so go ahead and write down your name in the who blank. Write down your name in the who blank. And then where is this purpose taking place? Well, you know what? That's the one that only you looking to God can answer. And I don't know what it's, where it is for you. And I hope that over the course of the last 20 minutes here, you've been thinking about that. Maybe it's at your school. Some of you are starting up school again soon or have over the past week or so. Maybe that where is with your family. Maybe that where is in your neighborhood or in your community, at your workplace. Maybe that where is uh, in Aurora with Students from District 131, you have an opportunity to, to get engaged with that today. But you see, someone needs God's love. Someone needs to experience the love of Jesus through you. And I don't know where God wants you to bless others and to make a difference. I just know that you are where you are for a purpose. And as you begin to figure out where that is, I want you to, maybe it's you know, later on in the service, maybe it's later on today, but don't wait long. But wherever you feel that might be, I want you to write that in there, Okay? And then lastly, on the when line there, I want you to write the word today. Today, 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 okay? Have the courage to write today because you are who you are, where you are, when you are for such a time as this. Don't wait. Do what God wants you to do today. Today's the day. You're not too young, you're not too old, you're not too busy, too insignificant, too messed up, too inconsequential. You're not too weak. No, you are who you are, where you are, when you are for such a time as this. The question is this, all right? Will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the invitation? All right, let's pray. Father God, God, thank you that uh, we are honored with the privilege and responsibility of being your children. God, help us to remember we are who we are, where we are, when we are, for such a time as this. We pray this in your name, amen.